Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. This morning, I'm going to be looking at, uh, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 9. We're going to be looking at two verses out of Jeremiah chapter 9. But just want to give you a little bit of a background um, on the prophet Jeremiah. And as I said, Jeremiah was a prophet. Prophets in the, in the Old Testament days, they didn't have the completed work of God. They did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them at all times. The Spirit of God would come and go as he saw fit at that time. So the way God would work and would speak, new, would speak truth and his will to his people would be that he would anoint certain men to send the message of God to his people. And when the prophet of God would stand before the people of God, he would say, thus saith the Lord. And at that moment, everyone one would know this is God speaking through his man, that this is something we need to take heed of and we need to take warning of. And this is what Jeremiah's job was. And like so many of the prophets of that day, he was giving this unenviable task of delivering God's truth in a day when truth was not popular. The people of Israel, the people of God at the time that, that Jeremiah was living and ministering had walked away from God. They turned their back on him. We'll talk about that in just a second. And they did not want to hear what the message was from God because here's the message that Jeremiah had to give. Impending doom is just around the corner. Man, that's a great message to preach. I, don't, I think I'd call in sick that day and just let somebody else handle that message, right? But no, he was talking about the impending doom and the judgment that was about to fall on God's people for their stubbornness and their rebellion against God. The book of Jeremiah is also one of the longest prophetic books and also one of the most personal books of prophecy that we find. We learn more about Jeremiah, the man, the prophet, than we do about any other prophet that we see um, of the prophets of the day that day. Jeremiah is also known, and I would be too if, if I had to deliver the bad news like that, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Uh, he also is known for penning the book of Lamentations, which is a book of mourning, a book of grievances, a book of, you know, you just read through it and it's like, man, this guy is just sad all the time. And his sadness comes from the fact of seeing God's people so blessed by God turning their back on those blessings, turning a blind eye to God and walking into destruction happily. And after, even after being warned, still deciding to do so. Uh, Jeremiah lived and he ministered during the last days of the kingdom of Judah from 640 to about 580 BC. And like I said, this was a time of strife and turmoil. See, they had had a great king named Hezekiah and he had reigned for 42 years. Hezekiah was a godly king and he had begun to reverse the downward spiritual decline and had brought Israel into a moment of, 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 of revival, had made God's law, the law of the land once again and everything. But as with any king who was not the king of kings, Hezekiah drew his last breath after 42 years and his son Manasseh took the throne. Manasseh did not follow in his dad's ways. And so as Manasseh took the throne, he began to allow idolatry and cultic practices to return and people began very quickly to turn back to their godless ways. Manasseh only reigned for about, uh, for a little while and then after that Ammon, Manasseh's son, reinstated idol worship as the official religion of Judah, totally encapsulating their turn from God. The same people that God had brought out of Egypt, the same people that God had brought across the Red Sea, the same people that God had seen do so many wondrous things, they turned their back on God. 
And they do it over and over and over again. And Ammon only reigned for about two years and then his eight-year-old son Josiah came to be the king and then Josiah attempted to lead the people back to the ways of God. This is where if you look in the book of First and Second Chronicles, you'll see the chronicles of the kings of Israel and you will see that some of them did what was right in their own eyes, but some of them did what was right in the sight of God. Josiah was one who did that and attempted to bring back the worship of God, but the people by that time had become stiff-necked after generations of walking in rebellion. And enter Jeremiah in this phase who's given the message that judgment is about to fall on the entire generation of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a rough call to preach. That's a rough call to ministry, right? And if you read the book in its entirety, you get the idea that Jeremiah would not have been a real popular preacher. I challenge you to go back. We're going to look at two verses here, but the, the verses that those are sandwiched between, man, they are pretty severe. They're pretty harsh. And it's basically telling you, look, God is about to lower the boom on you. You can't be called God's people and God's nation and God's chosen people and not love God an ounce and not pay for that. But this was Jeremiah's message. Nobody was lining up at the bookstore to buy his books. Didn't matter how good he looked or how nice the cover looked. Nobody wanted to listen to his podcast or download his videos on YouTube. Nobody was asking him to come and preach at the big conferences. And no one liked him because his, same, his message was the same every single time because it was given by God himself. Repent and lament because God's judgment is coming. That's not a popular message. It wasn't a popular message then. It's not a popular message today. Then he would begin to describe how the judgment would come and how bad it would be. And like I said, in chapters 8 and 9, it begins to paint a picture of what it's going to look like and just how God is going to lower his judgment upon the people. And Jeremiah spent his entire ministry trying to beg, borrow, plea, and deal with the people to turn back to God. But they wouldn't. And in the middle of all the warning and the doom and the gloom, we find two very powerful verses, which are really the baseline for this entire ministry. And that's what I want to look at in our text this morning. Beginning in verse number 23, here's what it says. Again, this is what we see. Thus saith the Lord, or this is what the Lord says. And so what, Je what Jeremiah is saying, in some ways, I'm thinking he's like, don't kill the messenger, right? <laughs> in some ways, like, look, if you want to blame somebody, blame God, because he just gave me the message, right? But no, with this statement comes authority, and power, and sobriety, right? He says, this is what the Lord says, the wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength, and the wealthy should not boast in his wealth, but the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, God says, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. Look what it says on in verse number 25. You won't see this on the screen, but just to give it some context. Jeremiah says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration when I will punish all the circumcised and circumcised. Egypt, Judah, Edom, and the Ammonites, Moab, and all the inhabitants of the deserts who clip the hair on their temples. All these nations are uncircumcised and the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. So this was a pronouncement upon the people of God that yes, you are circumcised, you are my people, but I'm not looking for a bunch of right things that you do. I'm looking for your heart. Give me your heart. And in verses 23 and 24, God gave them the path to the heart. Stop looking at all the other things and look to me. Your greatest pursuit in life is to know me and understand me. 
Love my justice. Love my mercy. Love my handiwork. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning you would speak through your word. And I pray this morning that you would captivate us by your truth. I pray as your messenger that I would say nothing that would hinder what you want to say to us today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. The wise person, don't boast in your wisdom. The strong, don't boast in your strength. The wealthy, don't boast in your wealth. But understand and know me. That is the greatest pursuit of life. And that's kind of the, the, the text, the title of the text this morning is Life's Greatest Pursuit. Back in 1979, how many of you were around in 1979? Okay, I wasn't around yet. Okay, I was, I was getting ready to make my entrance into the world. I was born in January of 1980. So I was around, but not really around. Okay, but there was a game that kind of, a board game that burst onto the scene in 1979. And it took the world by storm. And it had great staying power in the board game market. In 1984, there were over 20 million copies of the game sold worldwide. As of 2009, nearly 11 or 100 million games have been sold in 26 different countries, reproduced in 17 different languages. There are 55 official editions of the game on the market today. And can anybody guess what the name of that board game is? Trivial Pursuit. Yes, somebody's been playing Trivial Pursuit, if they know that, right? Trivial Pursuit. The object of Trivial Pursuit is to test the player's ability to answer general knowledge and popular culture questions, and the player must fill up his little pie piece by answering a correct question in six major categories of geography, sports, leisure, or sports and leisure, history, science, and nature, right? And these are not questions that are really like well-known. This is why it's called trivial, right? Um, it's questions like this, like what does a heliologist study? Anybody know what a heliologist studies? Right? Well, if, if you know the etymology of words and you know all that, you go to helios. And if you know Greek, you know that means sun and ology is the study of. So maybe it's the study of the sun and that's exactly what it was. So a heliologist studies the sun, right? Um, I would have gotten that. No, I'm just teasing. Um, <laughs> I cheated. All right. Um, what U.S. city was once known as federal city? Anybody know? Anybody? Anybody? Federal city. Anybody know? Washington, D.C. It only makes sense after you hear it, right? Federal city, you know, the government, right? Washington, D.C. What anniversary, all right, get ready, fellas. What anniversary is known as the crystal anniversary? You guys remember what anniversaries are? The 10th? No, keep going. It's not the 20th. Go back a little further. It's the 15th. The 15th anniversary is the crystal anniversary. So um, there you go. That's, that's, there it is. No, I'm good. I'm good. 15th anniversary is the crystal anniversary. So the title of the game, I think, is pretty appropriate. Trivial Pursuit, right? Because who really needs to know what a heliologist studies other than a heliologist, right? And the sun, maybe. The sun may want to know. Who really needs to know? No one has... Okay, let me ask you. Did you make it through your 15th anniversary without giving crystal and still live to tell the tale? Right, probably because your spouse didn't know it was a crystal anniversary either, right? So these, these things that you have to know to win the game are trivial. They really don't play a whole lot into real life. It's just fun to sit around and pretend that you're smart, right? Um, and uh, a guy like me, I love trivia. I love Trivial Pursuit. I've got like five trivia, trivia games on my phone that I just play when I'm sitting around and I'm bored and I, I don't have anything to do. I like it, all right? But, um, but anyway, it seems like taking the time to know all of this stuff suggests exactly what the name of the game is. It's trivial. It's not really that important. And you're probably thinking, man, if I knew all that stuff, I would have no time to do anything that I actually like or I actually enjoy. There's got to be more to life than knowing what a heliologist is, right? So our text this morning addresses this idea very, very well. 
The prophet Jeremiah speaking to the Jewish nation who is caught up in a trivial pursuit of its own. They've gone through decades and generations of godlessness. They had turned their affections away from God. They had gone into idolatry. They had begun to pursue other gods. They had begun to pursue their own works. They had stopped pursuing the Lord like he had said. We see the very word of the Lord come through the mouth of Jeremiah in verse number 24 that says this, the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me. But what were the people of Israel doing? They were boasting in their education. They were boasting in their military power and their might. And they were boasting in their national power and how good they were and how much better they were than everybody else. They were boasting in their wealth and all the security that they had. This doesn't sound much different than today, does it? And he said this, the one who boasts should boast in this. Boast in the fact that you know me. Boast in the fact that you know me. And after comparing some of the most sought after qualities on earth of wisdom, power, and riches, which again, nothing wrong with those things. If you have the opportunity to get education, get it for the glory of God. If you have the opportunity to gain strength and, take care, and do that, do it for the glory of God and use that strength that you have to help others. If you have the ability to gain wealth, do it for the glory of God and be a giver to the glory of God, right? There's nothing wrong with those, but when our greatest pursuit is those things, we lose sight of the one that we're to pursue with all we have. And it reminds me of what I mentioned last Sunday in the Westminster Shorter Catechism when I, when I use this, this quote, that the chief end of humanity is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The chief end, our, our total, our total uh, just course of our being is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Why? Because that's where we're bound for eternity. The greatest option we have after this life is over is to be with God and glorifying him and praising him forever, just like we sang about this morning. So our chief end is to glorify him and to, and to, and to then enjoy God forever. And let me ask you something, church. If you're in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, are you enjoying that relationship? Are you enjoying that close relationship that you have with Christ? Or is Jesus just there to take care of you when things go wrong? Because Jesus is supposed to be our treasure, supposed to be our priceless relationship that we have in life. Sometimes I wonder if that's the way we look at him. And the people of God are tempted many times to think that God is only good when wealth, riches, and strength prevail. But when wealth, riches, and strength go away and Jesus is still there, <laughs> it's still good. It's still good. So the question that I ask you this morning, and, and Westminster Shorter Confession and all that is based upon and, and echoed back in the book of Philippians. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul echoed Jeremiah's word and he said from prison, he began to think about his life's accomplishments and he said that all the things in the world that he noticed, um, that, that he had gained in life were worthless to him. And he was willing to lose all of those things for the cause of Christ. Paul, a man who had the wisdom, who had the strength, who had the, the power, who had the notability and notoriety, he gave it all up for Christ. And at the end of his life, he lost his life for the cause of Christ. And then in Philippians chapter 3, here's what he says. He says, my greatest pursuit is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. In Philippians chapter 3. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So let me ask you a question before we get into the main points this morning. What is your greatest pursuit in life? What are you chasing? What is your greatest pursuit? And at different seasons of our life, we're tempted to have different pursuits. 
You know, before we're married and, and, and we're, we're in high school, our greatest pursuit may be getting grades so that we can get the scholarship to college. And what's that for? So that we can go to college and get the degree and get the good job so that we can get the good life and we can get the, all that type of stuff. It's all about pursuing these ladder steps, right? When we're single and ready to mingle, I don't know how else to say it, but no, we, our pursuit is I've got to, I want to find a spouse, Right? So we'll pursue that. And many times it puts us in a place where we'll give up portions of ourselves or we'll compromise part of our integrity in order to gain those things. And as we're starting out trying to build a career, what do we do? We're tempted sometimes to take opportunities that may not be good or we, 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 we fudge numbers or we do something or we step on somebody else or we do some things that are ethically not responsible so that we can just gain a little bit more traction. What is our life's main pursuit? See, my argument and the Bible's argument more than mine would be that through all of those things, our main pursuit, whether we're getting grades along the way or we're finding a spouse, our main pursuit should be to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, to know him. So this morning, I want to look at the greatest pursuit that we could ever have, or life's main pursuit. Is it like Jeremiah's and Paul's? Can you honestly say that you're pursuing God with all you have? I want to give you four things this morning very quickly. The greatest lie a preacher ever says very quickly, right? The first thing is that pursuing God, and this is the benefit of pursuing God, pursuing God gives us a proper desire. When we pursue God, we will have a proper desire. And it's only possible if our desire is proper as well. When we pursue something, what do we normally do? When you think of pursuit, what do you think of? I think of those National Geographic, uh, you know, videos, you know, Wild Animal Kingdom. Watch the lion as he stalks his prey, right? And there's this like little, cute little animal sitting over there out in the middle of the savannah. And he doesn't know the lion's there, poor little thing, but we do, right? And then all of a sudden he realizes and he starts the run and then you hear the guy, he doesn't know his life is over. And the lion chases after him and he gets him, right? And we see that, we see that happen, right? When I think of pursuit, that's what I think of. I think of chasing after something, right? I also think of me driving on the interstate wanting to not let anyone beat me to my destination. All right, when I get on I-75, everyone is a competitor in the race. They don't even know they're racing me. They have no clue, right? <laughs> and I like it that way, right? Anyway. Somebody passes me, they become my mortal enemy. And I, if it takes me three states to catch up, I will, even though I only had to turn one exit back. I will find them. All right. No, our pursuit is we will chase. We chase. And you have to, in order to have a good chase, you have to have a target, right? How many of you like a high-speed chase? Not in one, just watch one. The drama of watching a high-speed chase, right? What's probably the most famous high-speed car chase you've, we've ever seen? OJ, right? Remember when people were, it was like breaking into TV and break, I think it broke into the World Series or, or one of the, like a big sports game, I think. And people are just like, go get the popcorn. OJ's running for the last time, right? You know, and they're just sitting there and they're like, what are they going to do? Here's the thing. Where was OJ headed? <laughs> no one knows. When you've got the entire police force chasing you down, is there really anywhere you are headed other than just away from the police? There's no target. Like you have to wonder where was this going to end? It was going to end with an empty gas tank, right? That's the way every high-speed chase takes. But put yourself in the police car. What's your target? The one that you're chasing, right? 
So here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that while we pursue and while we live our lives, we may have a lot of things along the way that we pursue. We must have a target that we chase. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is our shepherd that is leading us. And we are called to be disciples, followers of Christ, following after him. That means my eyes need to be fixed on the one that I'm following every single moment of every single day. Now, what would have happened along the way? You've seen some of these police chases, you know, they're, especially in movies where they're running, you know, they're going around these cities and they're running over fruit stands and they're running over all these things and people are jumping out of the way and stuff. You never see the other person that's chasing say, oh, there's a nice fruit stand. Maybe I should stop and get some apples for the journey. No one does that because they're zeroed in on their target. This is a lesson to us churches that we don't have time and we don't have the, we, we don't have the ability to stop along the way and say, you know what, I'm just going to take a stop for a minute and take my eyes off of Jesus. Ask Peter how that happens, or ask Peter how that goes, right? See, the greatest pursuit of life gives us a proper desire. Our pursuit must be to be like Jesus, to be like him. What does it say in our text? It says, this is what we should boast about, that we understand and we know the Lord that we understand it, that we know the Lord. And let me tell you something, church, you can spend your entire life, you can spend five lifetimes chasing after God and never know all there is to know about him. This is what's beautiful about our God. He always keeps it interesting. You ever been in, you ever, you ever just been, you know, as, as marriage presses on, some people I hear sometimes, never me, I never would say this. Um, but some people say, you know, it's just kind of grown stale. You know, we used to go out and we used to do stuff and it used to be exciting. God will always keep it exciting. It will always be interesting, right? Because he always asks us to give more of ourselves, more faith. David, the man after God's own heart said this, my whole being follows hard after you and clings closely to you and your right hand upholds me as I do this. So understand this promise that as we chase after God, he assists us in the chase. He's not trying to evade us. He's leading us and calling us lovingly, come with me because my way is the best way. This is a desire that you can trust. Hezekiah, that godly king that reigned for 42 years, not, belong, not, not long before Jeremiah came on the scene, here's what he said. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31, said, Hezekiah did this throughout all of Judah. He brought God back into the picture. He did what was good and upright and true before the Lord his God. And he was diligent in every deed that he began in the service of God's temple, in the instruction and the commands, in the order to seek his God, and he prospered. See, what had happened up until Hezekiah is Israel had turned their back on God. And so what did Hezekiah need to do? He needed to get God back in the eyesight of his people. So he opened temple worship back up. He began to make God part of the daily life of God's people again. And this is what I need to ask us. Is God part of our daily life or is he just part of Sunday morning? Is God part of your everyday life or is he just something that you pencil in on a calendar on Sunday morning and if a better opportunity comes up, I'm going there instead. That's why it's penciled in. Pursuing God means we have a proper desire. I'm not pursuing God just because I know it's the right thing to do. I pursue God because he's my greatest desire in life. Is God our greatest desire? Is he our greatest target? See, our target is to be like Jesus. If you follow hard enough after Christ, you become, begin to come, become like him. And there's nothing wrong with that. You ever seen somebody that's like a super fan of stuff? Got a lot of super fandoms these days, right? And just, just, go to, just, go, just go downtown to Comic-Con when it's going on. You'll see what I'm talking about, right? They follow hard after Marvel and all these comic books. And there's people dressed up. 
adult people, probably, had, probably just pillars of society dressed up in Halloween costumes walking around. They follow hard after and they begin to like look like them and talk like them and everything. Look, Jesus is not just to be a fandom. He's the source of my life. And he's the command that I have. Being around other people causes us to start to act like them. Kids will try to emulate their sports heroes or their movie stars. Adults try to emulate people they admire for various reasons. If you follow hard enough after Christ, you become more like him. Peter said that this is supposed to be our desire in the first place. Look, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 16 says, For it is written, Be ye holy for I am holy. This is what God wants. God wants us to be like him. God is set apart for us. He wants us to be set apart for him. And God used Jeremiah to convey this image again in verse 24 in our text. Look at it again. But the one who boasts should boast at this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord, that I show faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. This means that when God's justice is at hand, we love it. We try to have a sense of justice and a worldview like God the question I have is, can you say that you are pursuing Christ so much that you're starting to look like him and act like him and take on his mannerisms? Pursuing God, secondly, gives us a proper perspective. Not just a proper, uh, a proper desire, but a proper perspective. See, when we begin to zero in on God and his message as our target, or in his image as our target, an interesting thing begins to happen. We begin to get a glimpse of who he really is. When you stare at the Lord long enough, when you keep him in your vision long enough, you begin to get a glimpse of who he is. And what we see when we look at God and when we stay in his presence and when we continually focus on him more and more as we begin to see that he is holy and that we are not. Over in Isaiah chapter 6, we're given this story of Isaiah when he received a vision from God after the king Uzziah had died. And the Bible says that, and Isaiah says that when he entered the throne room, he saw the Lord and he was seated high and lifted up. And it said that the train of his, of his robe filled the temple with all of his glory. And there were angels and there were seraphim and they were, they were flying all around. And he's like, it's like nothing that I ever had seen. And he said, I heard this song that continually was being sang by the angels that said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah chapter 6. See, we can't look at God or come to understand his nature without being dumbstruck by a sense of awe and wonder. No one has ever stood in the presence of God and had words to say. Everyone, when they stood in the presence of God, Moses, Isaiah, many others, when they stood in the presence of God, the same thing, they said it, I had no words. I had no words. You know what? If you carry that to the day of judgment, that means when we stand before God, if we think we're going to be able to give a defense... We're not going to have words. That's when as our Savior, Jesus steps in and he says, I am your defense. Come on. The perspective makes us understand that I am everything unholy, that God is holy. We see our unworthiness. Isaiah's response to his vision and face-to-face -face encounter, encounter with the holiness of God was the same as many others in Scripture who had opportunity. He said in verse number five, after he finally gained composure to speak, he said, woe is me for I am undone. He said, I am a man of unclean lips. What he means is, I can't even gather words to describe what I'm seeing right now. We are made humble in the presence of God. Pursuing a God will keep us humble.
There's something precious about waking up every day, opening the word and being reminded, I'm not worthy, but the Lord thinks I am. It makes you humble. We're not the masters of our destiny, contrary to popular belief. We're not the captain of our own souls. We are not able to stand against the judgment of God without pleading his mercy. People today are still pursuing the same thing they were pursuing in Jeremiah's day. Wealth, strength, wisdom. Think if I just get smart enough, I'll be able to, I'll be able to solve all the world's ills. If I had enough money, I could basically, I, I could just dominate everything. I would have no more worries. I'd have no more problems. Rich people still die of cancer too. Right? If I had power, if I had strength, if I had security, I wouldn't have to be afraid at night. Some of the most powerful people in the world have the most advanced security systems around. Why do you think that is? Because we're scared of all of it. But when you have God, you know that come what may, he has promised me that he has me. And that he is with me. And that he promises to give me a hope and a future, Jeremiah says later on in the text. See, pursuing God keeps us humble, realizing that I will never be bigger than God. No matter how big I get, there's always going to be somebody that sits on a throne higher than mine. And it's a good thing that we live knowing and believing that truth. It gives us a proper perspective, but number three, it gives us a proper vision as well. When we pursue God, it gives us a proper vision. See, humility before God gives us the right framework through which to view the world. It helps us interpret the world around us. Look again at our text. You, you, you may know nothing leaving here, but you're going to know Jeremiah 29, 23 through 24 today, right? This is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. So our world is living in just as much ignorance as the world of Jeremiah. We may have different things that we're trusting in. Nuclear bombs or constitutions or presidents and senators, kings, the kings and queens may be different and all that type of stuff. But it's still the same thing. Based upon the same thing. We're trusting in lesser things when we have the opportunity to trust in the greatest thing. Our world lives in just as much ignorance. All the trivial pursuits that had begun, that had begun to give them a false sense of security and hope had, still gives us that same false sense of security and hope and it's arrogance. It's not just ignorance. This is arrogance. To think that the God who created us is not good enough to sustain us. I have to help him out with all of these other things. And then the ultimate arrogance comes into the fact that to think that, no, I earned all these things. You had nothing to do with it. And I've never needed you to begin with. And that's the arrogance that many people live in. And that is the path of the ignorance of trusting in your power, your strength, and your wealth. Because it leads you to realize, I don't need God. It's a false realization. But it's a realization nonetheless. Romans, that's a familiar book, right? Listen to what chapter 1 reminds us of. For his invisible attributes, God's, that is his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God. They didn't show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Meaning that all of us who live in this vast, grand planet Earth that we live in, 
are reminded every day. You drive past the mountains in the Rockies or you consider the skies and the heavens above you. You consider the roaring ocean waves and all of that and you begin to think, I'm the master of all of this. Now, the one who created all of this is the master. And the one who placed you here to enjoy it is the master. This verse tells us that God's given us a clear picture of him through creation and his power. And he's given us a clear way to him through Jesus Christ. But too many people choose the trivial pursuits. Jesus isn't really the way to heaven because there is no heaven in all of this. The greatest pursuit is God. It also helps us to properly relate to our world around us. See, this arrogance will then lead to destruction. Proverbs tells us that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit comes before a fall. It's easy as a Christian to look around and feel like we're in a fight that we can't win sometimes. You go to work or you, you look around and you think, man, am I the only one? Am I the only one who has eyes on Jesus? You go to school you see your grandkids or your kids or other family members and you think, am I the only one who has eyes on Jesus right now? And you'll be tempted to think, is it really worth it? Gain the perspective of pursuing God. Pursue him and see him. And it helps us to properly relate to the world to realize that God says, and later on in Ecclesiastes, Solomon would say, all of this is vanity. It all passes away. Cling to what will last forever. Over in Exodus chapter 14, we see when the, the Egyptian army is pursuing, the, is pursuing Israel. And there's no weapons, there's no military power to fall back on at this time. They're a ragtag group of freed slaves just trying to get out of, just trying to get out of Egypt and they're there at the Red Sea. And what does God tell Moses to do? Moses, as the, as the ground beneath them is thundering because the chariots and the horses are pounding, as, as Pharaoh's army is coming nearer and nearer to them, Moses walks with his little staff and he puts it in the water and what happens? The waters divide and the Israelites walk across on dry land. And after they get on the other side, guess what happens? Pharaoh says, let's go after them. And as soon as they're in there, the Bible says all of them are in that, that, that Red Sea. It just closes back up on them. Not one shot was fired. Not one arrow was let loose. Not one ounce of fighting was done except for the fight of faith of Moses to place that rod and that staff in there. And at that moment, Moses got the proper vision and the proper understanding of how the world works in God's eyes. Sometimes we forget the Red Sea moments and we forget. And you know what happens so many times throughout the Old Testament? We see God's people generations down the road forget what happened at the Red Sea. They forget what happened at Jericho. They forget what happened in the 10 plagues. And folks, we forget the goodness of God so many times too. And we have to be reminded Pursuing God keeps our eyes on him. And then lastly, as we close out this morning, pursuing God will give us a proper confidence. When we have a proper perspective and we have a proper vision, we'll have a proper confidence as well. It makes us stronger to pursue him. Pursuing God makes us realize just how weak we really are. Right? Just how weak we really are. And it's only then that we can be made strong. Look at what Second Corinthians says. Hear this. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. So I take pleasure in my weakness. That doesn't sound right, does it? You ever said, man, I, I'm in my 40s now and I'm so much weaker than I was in my 20s, man. And I, this, I'm, just, I'm just loving it the way it is right now. Anybody do that? No, nobody does that. But Paul does. 
I'll take pleasure in my weakness. Insults. Anybody like getting insulted? You know, so I said, you are nothing but a loser. Please, sir, can I have another? Tell me some more, right? Hardships, persecutions, difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, Paul says, then I am made strong. Hmm. When I am weak, then I am made strong. Paul is noticing himself to be the weakest, at the weakest point he's ever been in his life. And he's like, it's at my weakest that I'm the strongest. When I'm at my lowest, that's when I find that God's hand is still there. When nothing else is around, everyone else and everything else has given up and abandoned me, there's God. There he is. He was always there. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says, Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. So right here we see the Apostle Paul tell us all that we're fools. And you know what he says? The biggest fools of all are the ones that God uses the most. <laughs> That's good to think about, isn't it? Right? Just, so this is your chance. Look at the person next to you and say, you ain't nothing but a fool. No, don't do that, please. You can't keep pursuing all those things that they pursued in Jeremiah's day. The money, the wealth, all that. Now, now again, nothing wrong with those things. If God gives them to you as you pursue him. Nothing wrong with those things. But when those become our pursuits, they then become our idols. And God has to cast down idols. So some of you may be wondering, why don't I have more money? It might be because that's your pursuit and God knows what you're going to do with it once it becomes an idol. Right? Pursuing God gives us a proper confidence that come what may, come whatever comes tomorrow and today, God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I will trust him. And he gives us a confidence in that. See, it makes us more secure and confident in our pursuit of him. And wonderful things happen when we begin to pursue the Lord. He begins to give us confidence to keep pursuing him. You know, I trusted him back here when I was in this valley and he brought me out. Now that I'm in the valley again, I mean, why would he let me down this time? And I'm preaching that to myself, right? In a pursuit, it's a pursuit that will lead us all the way to the gates of heaven. So we have a choice once we come to Christ. We can still keep pursuing all the stuff that they were pursuing in Jeremiah's day. Listen, the, the fact that Israel turned their back on God's people didn't make God say, I'm going to go find new people. They were always God's people. And this is the beauty of the gospel. See, this is where we see even in the Old Testament, before Jesus is even born, Jesus is all over the, the Old Testament too. See, the way he treated Israel, anytime they turned their back on him, he brought them back. Sometimes he had to spank them to bring them back. But he brought them back. He didn't just say, you know what, I'm done. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to move on to, I'm going to go find new people. No. He never gives up. So you can get saved. You can be his. And you can chase after all those things that Jeremiah was talking about. You're going to land in the same place that everybody else in history has done doing that. You may think it's good. You may think it's happy. But there's an eternity that is waiting for us. And there is also a great wealth in heaven that the Bible says rewards and crowns for those who pursue the Lord as they live. This is when Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The, raw, the rust doesn't set in and where it doesn't tarnish and all that type of stuff. He said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. When you lay up for yourselves treasures in God's stock market, that market never crashes. Never. 
You may not see an investment return on it in this life, but you will see it one day. God makes sure of it. We are promised that. So here's the most beautiful truth about today's message. Is that while we may not pursue him at all times, he's always pursuing us. Always. Jesus said the son of man has come to seek and to save those who were lost. I came to call sinners to repentance. God is seeking us. God took the initiative that when we could not come to where he was, he came to us. So the greatest pursuit, you'll never out-pursue God because he wants to be caught. (laughs) Here's the most beautiful thing. He's always pursuing us. Even though we reject him, he pursues us. Even though we ignore him, he pursues us. Even though we take him for granted, he pursues us. And even though we forsake him, he pursues us. He doesn't stop pursuing us. Romans chapter 3 tells us there's no one who understands and there's no one who seeks after God. But God is pursuing us. When we won't pursue him, he pursues us. He said, I've come to seek and to save those who are lost. He pursues us and will always keep pursuing us. The question is, will we allow ourselves to be caught? You can't pursue God until you've been caught by him. So whatever it may be that you feel like you're running away from him. Listen, you can live life in one of two ways. You can run away from God or you can run after God. Which one do you want? Let him catch you. He wants to. As we bow our head and as we close our eyes this morning, I know I'm talking to mostly people in here who say, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian. I've been caught. Well, let me ask you something. Have you been running in the opposite direction or are you following after him? Maybe you need to come today and rededicate your life. Say, I haven't been following after him like I should. I've been kind of worried more about the the stuff in verse 23 and not really resting on the stuff that's promised in verse 24. Let's do business with God today. Just, just say, God, forgive me. Give, us a, give me a clear vision. Give me a clear perspective. Change my perspective. He'll do that for you. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ, or you've got doubts, you need to talk to somebody, please talk to somebody today. Don't let today go by without knowing that you're his. If you've got that doubt, I wonder... Don't let today go by without knowing. Heavenly Father, move in this time of response. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. If you need to come today for any reason, would you please come today, pray, whatever, or pray for someone, or if you need to come to rededicate a life, please do so. Thank you for listening today. At Grace Way, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.